Hello and welcome to a new episode of Straight Cash. You might not uh, be familiar with my voice. I'm Shiel Kapadia from The Athletic. I am joined today by Arif Hassan and I was asked to join this podcast today as sort of, uh, you know, analyst or talk about the Vikings moves, but I thought, you know what, I generally just read what Arif writes, steal those takes, use them as my own, so why don't I get in the host chair here and talk to Arif and we can get his his takes on everything that's going on with the Vikings. Arif, how's it going? <laughs> it's going pretty well. I guess we're <laughs> cannibalizing each other because I just started copying and pasting from your top 100 list. <laughs> there you go. That that that's what we work for the same company, so it's not stealing. You know, like if you <laughs> right. if you were to take it from somebody else, I think that would probably be plagiarism or crossing somebody's line. I think here we can call it uh, collaboration. Of course, you can read Arif's work on the Athletic. You can read my work on the Athletic. And actually, a special deal right now: we are offering new you new users for the Athletic free for ninety days while games are suspended. You can count on us to continue telling incredible stories. Join us as we find comfort and entertainment in the nostalgia, culture, and people behind the games we love. And Arif, as we were talking about before we came on air, we hope everyone is obviously staying safe and doing well. But uh, I think in terms of jobs that haven't changed much uh, since the coronavirus uh, came to the country and since people have been taking the many precautions that they should, our jobs are probably at the top of the list there, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, people are talking about social isolation. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's it's You're right. Totally different. You know, <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. it's how am I dealing with being in the house the whole time? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right. Our jobs haven't changed much, especially with NFL free agency and trades and everything that's happening. This is what we're used to doing, kind of sticking by the computer analyzing all those different types of things. So let's get right into it. The biggest news, uh, you know, one of the biggest stories really in the last week here was the Stefan Diggs trade happened on Monday night. Arif, of course, you have written about it. I have some thoughts about it, but just give me sort of your big picture take on this trade. The Stefan Diggs and a seventh round pick to the Bills for a first rounder, a fifth rounder, a sixth rounder, and next year's fourth rounder. What were your initial impressions when you heard the terms of that deal? Well, I mean, a little sad. He's fun to cover. But uh, beyond that, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's a huge move. It's it's one of the bigger moves uh, that we've seen. And if it wasn't for the DeAndre Hopkins trade, I think a lot of people would be talking about this as the blockbuster move of the free agency period. If you took if you took a look at like the the top wide receiver on your list, I think it was Amari Cooper at number five or something like that. The top free agents, and I think Diggs is comparable both in style and talent level to Amari Cooper, uh, who ended up signing like you expected for a twenty million dollar a year deal. Uh, the Bills get Stephon on digs for a deal that doesn't exceed $12 million in cap liability throughout the life of its contract. So they've got a really talented player that just does not cost as much to them uh, as as a talented player should. So uh, they're obviously happy. They want to get rid of any excuses they have in terms of evaluating Josh Allen, reduce the variables, make sure they know what they have there. And so getting a premier receiver is good for them. The counterpoint to that is that the Vikings are now missing uh, a receiver, and you can no longer ask if the Vikings have the top receiver duo in the league. Uh, so uh, they've got a huge weakness at receiver. They were already kind of in a position where wide receiver was about their fourth or fifth need uh, because they needed to grab a third or fourth wide receiver. Both the receivers at the time uh, had injury concerns, including Stephon Diggs. And so uh, we knew that they wanted to invest at the position. And now we're at a spot where uh, they, they've made the position uh, a bigger weakness than they have a strength. Uh, but the return, I think, for the Vikings is really spectacular, especially after you price in the fact that Diggs didn't really want want to be in Minnesota. You know, I think typically when when a player wants out, it's very difficult to get a good return. I mean, the the Jaguars did it with Jalen Ramsey, the Vikings just did it with Stephon Diggs, but typically pretty difficult to do that. Uh, and so I think grabbing um, a, a first-round pick and change, that's about what I expected. It's actually a little bit better than what I expected. I, I thought late first, late third, maybe target one of the teams that was a Super Bowl contender for that kind of trade. And this is a little bit better, depending on kind of which uh, trade chart you use. It's a little bit better than a late first and a late third. And I think if you use the least favorable trade chart, it amounts to basically the 18th overall pick, the Jimmy Johnson trade chart. And then you, you take a look at some of the other ones and you're at – uh, you know, the 15th overall or even the 10th overall based on some of the analytic boards that people have put together. So uh, the Vikings got a good return, 
But if their goal is to win in 2020, they've made things more difficult. In terms of crafting the best possible roster for 2021, 2022, they're in a much better spot, I think, after the trade than before it, which is difficult to say because Diggs is a very talented receiver. Yeah, I think you laid out so many things well right there, and let's dig into a few of them. I think the big point that you made there is that Diggs was obviously unhappy and wanted out. So at that point, as an organization, you know, with a player who's as talented as him, I think always your number one option should be, can you make it work? You know, can you kind of keep him on board? He's so talented. They were 10th in offensive efficiency. If you look at DVOA last year, you mentioned the wide receiver situation. He's young. He's on a very, you know, what looks like an incredibly team-friendly contract now at this point. So given all those factors, I think if you're an organization, you say, uh, you know, it's not every situation is going to be easy, but can we make it work? It seems like they kind of tried to do that. I mean, you know, this wasn't mm-hmm. exactly like a, a new situation that just popped up a week ago. I'm sure you guys have been talking about it or we're talking about it all of last season and you know they kept him on the roster. He played, he continued to play, he continued to play well, but then you hit the offseason and it's sort of a different point where you say, all right, you know, this is not going to be, we're not going to be able to make this work going forward here. And I think what they, they did, like you said, what the better organizations do, you know, the bad organizations have a situation like that. They let everyone know that the player is available and they basically just settle, uh, you know, for whatever they can get. We see organizations do this time after time and it's really uh, a terrible path to take. You're really selling low and not getting the value for that player. So even if you love Diggs, even if you think they should have kept Diggs, you know, you don't have to be totally on board with this decision. But I think if you take it from the angle of, you know what, they were going to get rid of him, it it wasn't an option to keep him, then at least they did kind of go through the process the right way and get good value for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, one kind of factor that that plays into why they got such a good deal, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. They weren't actually calling other teams around. I think, uh, you know, they they somehow made it known that they were willing to listen to offers. They typically do that for every player, honestly. Uh, And and they didn't go around making phone calls. They received a bunch of phone calls, said no to a bunch of people. That drove up the price a lot. Uh, And so they weren't very active in in terms of, of trading digs but you know knowing that digs wanted to leave uh and knowing that teams were willing to 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 make calls to acquire him uh the vikings basically let teams negotiate themselves up uh to to that uh to that price so um the vikings put themselves in a pretty good situation that way i think that you're right you know Letting which is difficult, right? Because Diggs was letting people know essentially that he was available, uh, but letting people know that uh, you know he, yeah, it's uh, true, he, right? Yeah, he was he was very adamant about letting people know, um, but you know, letting uh, letting other teams know that that you're willing to part ways with them, you know, instead of saying ah, it's like pulling teeth. He's one of our best players. Um, you know, it's it's it, it seems like a simple negotiating tactic on our end. But imagine from a general manager's point of view, you know that you have to offload a player in some way as much as you like having that player on the team. Uh, it's very easy to to become a little bit desperate to try and get any return possible. And I think, uh, you know, the DeAndre Hopkins trade is a really great uh, counterpoint to it. I think the fact that it happened is, is just made the Vikings come out looking like gold. I think the Vikings had a pretty good return nevertheless, like whether or not that happened. But um, the fact that the Texans got, I think, less than a second-round pick, right? Because they had a second-round pick, a pick swap, and then they have to take on uh, yeah. a running back contract. $10 million guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Yeah. So uh, that, I mean, it looks – now the Vikings look even better uh, for for how they negotiated the trade. The next question, of course, is, is how they replace them because the Vikings pretty clearly signaled that they're willing to sacrifice future benefits to increase the probability of winning now with the uh, Kirk Cousins extension, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second. Uh, and so they're pretty close to being in what you would call a win-now mode. I mean, every team likes to win now, but certain teams are, are more willing to make sacrifices in terms of future wins in order to secure wins at the moment. And the Vikings seem like they were poised to do that uh, through a number of moves. And, and, uh, and trading digs makes it very difficult to maximize the probability of winning in 2020. 
Yeah, that's a great point you made about the DeAndre Hopkins move and really making the Vikings. Uh, I mean, it seemed to me that pretty much everybody, even people who love Diggs, and I I really like Diggs uh, a lot, felt like, all right, at least they got good value for him. But that was right in sort of the shadow of what the Texans did with DeAndre Hopkins and everyone justifiably crushing that move. So maybe like Rick Spielman might want to send like a fruit basket or something to Bill (laughs) O'Brien or the Vikings PR staff might want to send something down to Texans. It made their job very easy, I feel like, to kind of sell sell this move a little bit and uh, and not make people as upset. So uh, the one interesting thing with his contract uh, I, w- I was thinking was that, you know, I wonder how long he's going to be happy playing on, on that contract, Stefan Diggs, in Buffalo. And so I'm sure that's something that teams had to consider when they were trading for him. The contract looks unbelievable right now. If you could just say, hey, you're going to stay on that till 2023, I think maybe they would have even gotten more than they got. But I I think if you're a team acquiring him, you're probably saying, all right, you know, maybe he'll be happy for a little bit, but we're probably going to have to restructure that deal uh, at some time in the near future. But let's get to what you just mentioned, because I think looking at it from a big picture, you know, I I think we're both sort of analytically minded and it seems like the best way to build a team is to have an efficient offense that carries over year after year, their stickiness, uh, Certainly with that, now the Vikings are kind of the exception in that their defense does seem to be efficient and good year after year. But man, losing Stefan Diggs with this offense, you mentioned the pass catching options. There's not much there. What what direction do they go in now to kind of help Kirk Cousins help this passing game have some have some options to be maybe not as explosive and efficient as they were last year, but still to kind of take a step in that direction? Yeah, you know, two weeks ago, you know, before the trade uh, was was even a likelihood, uh, it was very easy for me to say, you know, hey, teams are a little bit too aggressive about grabbing a receiver in the first round. This is a remarkably deep draft. They should wait a little bit because the drop off is just so minimal this year at receiver. And now, uh, it, now, now that the the trade has happened, I'm like, wow, it'd be really great if they grabbed one of those top three guys, huh? <laughs> it really changes <laughs> yeah. your perspective, uh, just in terms of the the way that the team needs to be constructed. So I don't, you know, think the Vikings are are in great range to attack the receiver position with one of those top three guys. I think that they'll all be gone by the time the Vikings pick now at 22. Um, but there's the possibility of an Anthony Harris trade. Um, and, uh, you know, that could involve a first round pick swap. I've heard that rumor that could involve, um, you know, trading him for a third, in which case that you'd be able to, to package that third with the first round pick in order to move up. Um, there's a lot of ways, you know, essentially the Vikings would be getting another top 100 pick for Anthony Harris if they execute the trade. And if that's the case, then they do have the ability to kind of move up, still have two first round picks, but move up in the first round, uh, to grab one of those top three guys. And then, uh, you're in a position where you can say, well, all right, fine. Uh, you know, you, you don't replace digs one for one. Even great rookies, it's very difficult to get a thousand yards out of them the rookie year. Um, you know, the 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 league was a little bit lucky last year that they had uh, three rookie receivers that got over eight hundred, I think. Um, but if you got eighty percent of Stephon Diggs with one of those guys in in year one, I think you'd be pretty happy, especially as you grab maybe another receiver a little bit later in the draft, Uh, you know, in in the third or fourth round, you know, there's some pretty excellent names to be had. So um, I I do think that their priority is to grab a young receiver in the draft. Uh, I I would not be shocked if they went after that second tier of guys, you know, uh, LaVisca Cheneau or Justin Jefferson or Brandon Ayuk or however they, they parse out that draft class. But I do think they do need to be aggressive also in free agency, not in getting a starter at receiver, but but creating a floor in terms of how bad things can get. Um, because I like BC Johnson a lot. You know, he's their their seventh round pick from last year, and he has vastly outperformed his expectations. First, by making the roster, it's very difficult for for seventh round picks to do that. But by being an effective player when the team needed him after Adam Thielen went down. But at the end of the day, he still only got around two hundred yards, uh, which is not what you need from a wide receiver three. Uh, much less somebody who's going to step up and take over the role in, in his, uh, I think, six starts. He averaged 20.5 yards per. 
per game. Uh, and that's, you know, with Thielen out. Uh, and so you, you can't really expect that from a starting level receiver. Now, obviously, he's going to improve, but I don't think you can bank on, on that level of improvement. So they need to find a receiver whose floor they trust to be able to provide them with about 40 yards a game uh, and then improve on that situation. And I think they'll have to attack this in, in a couple of ways, one with free agency, two with another set of draft picks and, and so on. So it's going to be difficult to replace Stephon Diggs. And honestly, that's not really the key to making this trade work. You don't want to replace him. You want to generate more wins uh, with the assets you got than uh, with Stephon Diggs. And and that could be had by getting maybe 80%, if you're lucky, 80% of Stephon Diggs in the draft, plus, you know, a high-level corner uh, with one of those picks, plus even maybe a pass-rushing defensive tackle, plus you've got a little bit of extra cap space, $5 million this year, $14 million uh, for the next three years that you freed up using that cap space to grab a guy that also will generate a couple of extra wins. So altogether, the sum of those parts, maybe you can generate more wins uh, than if you just had Stephon Dix. It's less about replacing him, and you do need to, to find a starting receiver that's effective, and more about using the assets you got to holistically produce a, a better outcome. Yeah, I think it's a great point about needing to sort of hit that floor where you, I mean, you do not want to go into the draft saying, if we don't get a starting wide receiver who can contribute right away, uh, we're screwed here. I mean, that, you know, that's how teams make mistake, mistakes and you panic and you say, all right, you know, shoot, let's trade up. These two guys went off the board. We've got to get this guy. And we sell ourselves, you know, this time of year into these guys being like can't miss prospects. And, uh, you know, you, you just watch their tape and you look at the the metrics of it and you say well you know this this guy is so good he's going to be able to come in as a rookie right away and produce but I mean if we sort of look at the big picture what's the hit rate in the first round overall not just wide receivers I mean it's what around 50 percent right I think is what uh, teams generally would look at so even if you do all the scouting and you use all your all the resources you have available and you feel like you've gotten the right guy uh, you know it's hard there's this is just such a the draft is is making judgments under uncertainty and it's a tough thing to predict and so you never want to go in there thinking that, uh, you know, you're definitely going to find a guy like you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, if they were able to get a rookie who could produce 80% of Stefan Diggs, like, I, I mean, I think that would be a home run for sure. You know, that might be on sort of the one end of the distribution, the range of outcomes that you might expect. But uh, it is fascinating what's happening with the, fa- with the wide receiver market right now, like you mentioned, because I think a lot of teams are looking at it saying, this draft is loaded at wide receiver. We are not going to pay what might be a a mediocre, a slightly above average player, a lot of money when we can just get many bites at the apple in the draft. And so Amari Cooper goes back to the Cowboys for 20 million. You have the Diggs trade, you have the Hopkins trade. But now if you look at like the rest of the free agents, I mean, Robbie Anderson is still out there. Emmanuel Sanders is still out there. And then you go a little bit lower, Brashad Perriman, uh, Nelson Aguilar. These guys have not agreed to terms or signed with any teams right now. So it, it is sort of interesting to see how the whole league is kind of thinking the same thing right now that they don't want to go after those players at a, at a high salary when they could address the need in the draft. But but as you mentioned, is there anybody that you look at, whether it's the list of free agents I put up or it might even be guys who aren't on that list of top 100, is there a free agent or two that you think could make sense for them that they're not going to have to break the bank for but at least you can get some competent play out of in case the draft doesn't kind of go the way you're expecting uh yeah i think um i think it really falls off after you uh after you uh stop after uh brashad perriman um i don't think nelson Aguilar is going to really excite anybody despite kind of the the fact that he had one pretty good year in the slot for the eagles and and he's uh you know improved as a route runner and so on because you know hands are fairly important and uh, and that's been kind of the book on him for a little bit so it's going to be kind of difficult to uh, to take a look at free agency and and grab a guy that you know uh is going to be able to produce but i think Brashad Perriman is probably kind of the ideal guy. He's more of a complimentary guy. You know, that's all I think he's ever going to be able to be. But, you know, you can get a lot out of that complimentary guy. I mean, I, I think that 
the, the Bucks got a lot out of him, I think more than uh, you would have expected given kind of how the beginning of his career started. Um, but I think Emmanuel Sanders would be the kind of target that the Vikings would like. Now, uh, PFF slash over the cap, you know, they work together to produce some of these contract uh, projections. And they've got the contract projection for Emmanuel Sanders at about $10 million a year. Um, that is potentially a little pricey for the Vikings. We're up against it in terms of the cap. But if they trade Harris, now that they've gotten rid of Stephon Diggs, they do have a little bit of cap room to work with. That's kind of what you get by by freeing up cap room, by by restructuring Cousins. Um, that's something that they could do. And, and Sanders would be, I think, the epitome of the kind of receiver that could provide a floor. Plus, it's not really a significant play style change uh, for, for Cousins to have to throw to Sanders instead of Diggs. I mean, in, in some ways, they're very similar receivers. So um, that, I think, would be the target. Um, Rashad Perriman would complement whoever they grab in the in the first or second round at receiver as a deep threat that has the ability to kind of alter the geometry of defenses. Um, but, you know, he's had the ability and his, I think, um, his average per start was like 92 with the Bucks, uh, which... Uh, that's not bad compared to to BC Johnson at 20.5. You know, I don't think that that's what you can reasonably expect going forward, but it is a, a good indication that there's something you can get there. Um, so that's probably what they're looking at. I, I really doubt they'd be really in the market for someone like Robbie Anderson. If they were, that would be, I think, a coup if everybody's uh, contract demands have been depressed by just how excellent the 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 draft market is for receivers. Um, you know the Vikings could really take advantage of that and make sure that they've got a, a floor to work off of. But I really think that Anderson, Sanders, and Perriman are really the guys that can provide you with the kind of floor that you can be comfortable with. Especially since I think Randall Cobb signed, um, and so he's not on the market anymore. Maybe you could be comfortable with. Um, I don't think Danny Amendola signed. Maybe you could be comfortable with him. And then after that, it's like Nelson Aguilar, Devin Funches. Uh, I don't think Tajay Sharp signed with anybody. You're in real dicey territory at that point in terms of somebody that can step up and play number two, maybe number three. Um, but that's kind of where you're at. It's not a remarkable market. I think that, you know, with Amari Cooper at the top of it, that was pretty great. Uh, and then you've got a, a decent second tier behind him. And then after that, I think it falls off pretty significantly. So I think the Vikings would want to target one of those three guys that you had right after Amari Cooper. And then maybe if they're forced to see if they can fix some of the issues with Nelson Aguilar, who I think, you know, he's 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 better than, than Eagles fans give him credit for, but, you know, not significantly so that I would be excited to grab him. Yeah, I, I think the guy, that was very, what it, what I think, what was your thing? Hands are kind of important for Nelson. That was a very nice way of uh, of saying it, Arif, in terms of Nelson Aguilar. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm recording here from Philadelphia. No one puts it quite that lightly, I can assure you, with, uh, <laughs> with, with, with the way Aguilar performed last year. So, uh, I mean, I can give you the book on uh, Aguilar is that he's a very good route runner. He is uh, exclusively a slot receiver, uh, but the hands are are certainly a big issue. And, and it's not just hands. It's not just drops. It's sort of tracking the ball, body control, all those different types of things that you have to do once the ball is in the air. That's where he struggles. But he is uh, he is certainly a very good route runner. Some of the other names that you mentioned there, Randall Cobb went to Houston. Uh, you know, Bill O'Brien traded DeAndre Hopkins and then signed Randall Cobb, who I think is over 30, a slot receiver to like a $9 million a year contract. Danny Amendola, I believe re-signed with the Lions actually before right before free agency started I want to say I, I can double check on that but I think that was the case uh, when I was putting together the list of the top 100 uh, and you mentioned Brashad Perriman's numbers as a starter if you look at like the last six games last year when he was playing for Mike Evans I, I thought he was really impressive like when I when I was watching uh, you know his targets and catches he's obviously a very good vertical threat he's always had the speed but I was really impressed with sort of his his body uh, body control when the ball was in the air, his ability to make contested catches. Uh, I thought he was running routes uh, really well. So he's a name that I think probably a lot of these wide receiver needy teams are keeping an eye on. And maybe he thought he would get a big contract based on how he finished last season. It seems like that might not happen. But once he kind of comes down a little bit in terms of his asking price, I could see a lot of teams revisiting that and uh, and being into signing him. And, and you made a good point there with Emmanuel Sanders and sort of the scheme fit. That might be an interesting name for them as well. Okay, let, let's get to the sort of next part 
of this discussion. I can't imagine how many words or minutes you guys have spent talking about Kirk Cousins. So, you know, I think people should be thinking we didn't we didn't lead the podcast with Kirk Cousins. So we at least <laughs> took you in a, in a different direction. But he, of course, gets the two year extension. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think it's uh, two years, 61 million guaranteed, putting him under contract through 2022 cousins turns 32 in august so this would be his 32 33 and 34 uh, year old seasons uh, is this what you were expecting the vikings to do this offseason is this an extension you would have done if they put you sort of in the uh, in the seat of rick spielman and said hey make a decision on our future quarterback uh, I honestly would have probably added another year that was not guaranteed, so a fake year, essentially, um, to uh, to reduce the cap hit and not commit myself so much as they did in 2022. It's actually a really interesting contract structure. So they reduced the $10 million uh, for 2020 and essentially just stuff it into 2022. Uh, his cap hit in 2021 is identical to what it would have been without a contract in 2020. Uh, and so it's a $45 million cap hit in 2022. And the first time I mentioned this, a lot of people are like, well, 2022 is not guaranteed. It's it's funny money. It's fake. But the problem is it does fully guarantee on uh, the fifth or the third day of the league year of the prior year. Uh, and so uh, if he's on the roster in 2021, 2022 guaranteed, uh, it, it becomes guaranteed fully. And the problem with that is if they cut him before 2021, and, you know, he's a smart guy. He knows, right, that that if he's cuttable in 2021, this is not a contract extension. Um, if they cut him in 2021, the Vikings carry a $41 million dead cap hit. So they're not going to cut him in 2021, which means that the $45 million is essentially guaranteed for 2022. So they are committed uh, through 2022 to the contract. Um, $45 million is really only reasonable, I think, for Cousins if uh, the cap is about $290 million in 2022. <laughs> so uh, that is unlikely, I think. Um, the cap would have to increase by, like I think, 50% um, in order to get there. Uh, so, you know, the cap has been increasing by 7% a year. I expect a new CBA to, uh, to actually accelerate cap increases, but I don't expect it to accelerate cap increases that much. That's, uh, pretty rough. Um, so I probably would not have, uh, structured the contract this way. I probably would have kicked the can down the road to 2023 and, and made 2023 partially guaranteed so I could probably eat that. I don't know if that's what they initially offered and he said no and they felt like they were in a bind. So maybe I'm just a really bad GM. I don't know. But, um... I understand the logic behind it, right? Because it does create some room in a year where they don't have much and they're not really committed to a bunch of contracts in 2022. So they can kind of work around that when that happens. Uh, and maybe when 2022 rolls around, they'll, they'll kick the can down the road again. Maybe they'll do a Drew Brees um, with, with Kirk Cousins. So uh, that's, that's entirely possible. Um, but for right now, it does clear up some room uh, that gives them the opportunity to pursue free agents. I don't think they would have been able to land you know, the Michael Pierce signing. I don't think they'd be able to kind of make some moves. Otherwise, without that, they wouldn't have even been able to franchise Anthony Harris, I think, as a, as a means to use him as a, as, a, as a trade asset or to keep him on the team um, without this, uh, this contract restructuring. So uh, it makes a ton of sense. It's already... Uh, you know, paying off dividends in terms of free agents and and crafting a trade market for Anthony Harris, um, but it is it is a, I think a tough pill to swallow because Cousins is I mean statistically he's like a top ten quarterback he might be top six quarterback statistically depending on kind of what statistics you like to look at to evaluate quarterback play except for total passing yards because they didn't throw the ball that much. Um, but and you, you shouldn't know, be looking at that anyway, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> But yeah, he he doesn't strike a ton of confidence in in you. As if you said he was a top six quarterback, you'd be like, yeah, I, I don't know, maybe, probably not. Like it's difficult for yeah. you to be fully committed to that evaluation. Um, but he's being paid like it uh, at least for the next couple of years. Uh, not this year, I guess. But but he gets to take home some of that money in terms of signing bonus. So um, yeah, I, it's 
It's tough. I think you can win a Super Bowl with him, but I think it, the way to do that is to is to essentially do what the 49ers did with Jimmy Garoppolo and and craft a supporting cast that's capable of of kind of bringing him forward because there's not really much evidence that he kind of elevates the level of play of the people around him, nor is there much evidence that he has the type of situational awareness as a quarterback that allows you to win in high leverage situations on third and long and two minute drills and stuff like that. So um that's that's the way I can say he's not clutch without using the word clutch. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he, he did show a little bit more. You know, he had that overtime against New Orleans in, in the playoffs. That's about the highest pressure situation you can construct. He had a, a great comeback against the Denver Broncos. He finally won on, uh, on primetime um, in a Vikings uniform. That's great, I guess. Um, so it, it is there. There's potential for, for you to say that, you know, there's growth. But for the most part, uh, he's he, it's a tough pill to swallow. I think you know he's not uh, the the kind of quarterback that's going to craft enough wins for you to say that he's worth you know forty five million dollars down the road. Or, but I think that if you create the room for him to succeed, I think that you can win a Super Bowl with him. So I think ultimately it does make a ton of sense in terms of of creating the best twenty twenty roster to win the Super Bowl for sure. So there are other options. Just to be clear, you know if they didn't do anything. This year, they could have just sort of had him going into the final year of his deal, but then it would have been tough to make these other moves that they're making. That That's kind of what you're saying as well, right? Yeah, yeah. If they had left this contract okay. alone, they could say, hey, uh, you know, prove us wrong. Uh, you know, prove that you're clutch or whatever and win a bunch of games and force us to sign you an expensive big money deal. Uh, and, and I think in a vacuum, that would be kind of ideal, but... Um, you know, like you said, the the pressures that they're facing in the in, in terms of twenty twenty roster management um, made it such that it, it was it was preferable to to take the gamble and commit to him a longer term. Yeah, gotcha. And yeah, that that contract structure is interesting. It's very similar to what the Titans did with Ryan Tannehill, where you know if they after next season they can opt out of it and then 2022 is not guaranteed but like that's very unlikely it's a you know it's a three-year commitment and then if you do that like it's like you paid him one year and I don't even know what the number was going to be would be for Tannehill you know with the signing bonus it's like 45 50 million for one year of work like it's not something you're going to do unless <laughs> it's just some kind of total catastrophe next year where the guy doesn't even look like a, a starting quarterback so it is fascinating it's kind of like that uh, I don't know if you want to call it the second tier or what of quarterbacks but the you know Garoppolo I thought was a good comparison you made Cousins is is in there Uh, if Tannehill you know plays well maybe he's in there golf from a couple years ago it's like guys you can win Mm -hmm. with if you if you have the coaching the supporting cast the numbers can look really good they're they're not the types that are just going to sort of put the team on their back and elevate everyone around them. And so I guess that does sort of, you know, go back to the Diggs discussion, not having to, you know, like you mentioned, Cousins had a great year statistically last year. I I think one thing we're seeing around the league is you're really seeing like how much the wide receiver help matters, you know, like a, a team like the Eagles last year and everyone was complaining that Carson Wentz didn't have weapons to throw to. Certainly saw it with Tom Brady in New England and now he's going going to go to Tampa where he has uh, excellent weapons like let's say that they you know draft a wide receiver who's uh, solid, you know, not not like a home run, but a, a capable starting wide receiver, and they go with that person and uh, Johnson and Thielen, I guess, as their three. Like, ha- how much of a hit do you think that might be just to the offense overall, and specifically Cousins and his numbers? Uh, it's tough. I mean, uh, if you take a look at, at targets to Stephon Diggs over the past couple of years, uh, Kirk Cousins threw, I think, 9.45 adjusted yards per attempt when throwing to Diggs. And Diggs had a bit of a turnover issue uh, this year where he would create interceptions that would like, clatter off his hands. And I also fumbled a bit. That doesn't count towards the adjusted yards per attempt calculation. But it's it's a concern. It's not something that he's persistently had throughout his career. So I don't think the, the Bills are going to see a ton of that. But it's interesting that despite having that interception issue, uh, he threw when he was throwing to Stephon Diggs. He was basically the best quarterback in the league. Uh, you know, nine point four five adjusted yards per attempt was only beaten actually by Ryan Tannehill, uh, who had <laughs> fewer than three hundred passing attempts. So it's very difficult to say that that's kind of a, a stable metric for him. So top of the league in terms of efficiency when throwing to Diggs, 
That's not necessarily unusual when you take a look at elite wide receivers. In fact, it's the same thing for Adam Thielen. Um, but typically, one or the other, they're both on the field at the same time, and so they get to benefit from that. Uh, and then, you know, throwing to, to Dalvin Cook and Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith and Ola B.C. Johnson, it just doesn't – it produces uh, about 7.2 or 7.15 adjusted yards per attempt, which is about league average, right? So when you're throwing to somebody else. And again, this is what you expect for a high-end receiver that when you're throwing exclusively to that receiver, uh, your numbers look like the best in the NFL. I don't want to, like, overstate that. But – Without him, now you're either funneling the entire offense through Adam Thielen, who has benefited more from Diggs on the field than Diggs has benefited from Thielen on the field. If you take a look at their their on off splits, uh, some of that is 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 goosed by the fact that Cousins was just better in in 2019 when uh, when Thielen was off the field um, than than he was in 2018 when Diggs was off the field and and it, it kind of skews the statistics a little but Thielen has benefited more from the coverage that Diggs draws than the other way around uh, and so. Because of that, I, I think that we're going to see a pretty remarkable hit in efficiency, even if you do end up with, say, like a solid receiver, you end up with like a 500 to 700-yard receiver, uh, at least his rookie year in the draft, and, and you have B.C. Johnson. Um, that's that's going to be tough, and I would expect him to drop from you know fourth, fifth, sixth in efficiency to, to somewhere around 10th as a result of that, which is huge. Um, but you take a look at what kind of the, the people who – uh, who are really the best at this in terms of doing with without scores? Uh, Pro Football Focus's plus minus system. You know they they concluded that per thirty five routes, you know digs in a in a down year in terms of expected points because of those interceptions, uh, but in an up year in terms of route efficiency. Uh, you know, Diggs was worth just a, a little bit under two expected points per thirty five routes, which is about one game. Uh, and so if the Vikings lose. Uh, and, and this is a, a plus minus system that's supposed to estimate what happens if you if you replace him with a replacement level receiver, which is what I think BC Johnson probably is. If you lose two points a game, the Vikings are, I think, significantly further back in terms of their ability to make it into the playoffs. They barely made it into the playoffs this year, and now the defense is getting worse. Um, so you you have to hope that that solid receiver can can buffer that a little bit get you back one of those points uh and then you can kind of make it up elsewhere and that's a really tough ask especially for a contract with Kirk Cousins that uh really commits you long term or medium term i guess cuz it's not like a 7 year contract or anything like that uh and so yeah i would i would expect his efficiency to take a hit and as a result the offense to take a hit it's it's going to be really difficult maybe i would say because he's really sensitive to the supporting cast he has around him i think more than a lot of other quarterbacks are moving from 6 to 10th would not be uh out of the question hmm. interesting yeah it'll be i mean he's uh, obviously so polarizing and it feels like every game with him is sort of a referendum on his career so the takes it sounds like will continue to come in 2020 yeah (laughs) in 2024 Kirk Cousins all right let's let's finish up with sort of looking at some of the other moves they made moves that could be coming and sort of their to-do list a little bit the the big signing that they mentioned which you alluded to uh recently was uh Michael Pierce the nose tackle from the Baltimore Ravens signing him to a Nine million dollar a year contract. Uh, I thought this was an interesting move. Now, I generally come from the perspective of run stuffing defensive tackles. Do that is not a good place to uh, allocate, allocate big time resources. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying it's not important to stop the run. But I just feel like you know, if you look at my free agency top 100 list, like there were a lot of those guys out there where you could probably get a a solid starter on a one year deal, maybe an older guy for uh, not too big of a contract, or maybe a you know maybe a longer contract but uh, a lower price. So I was a little bit certainly surprised by this move. What did you, you know, I think he's a good player, but what did you think, Arif, about their decision to kind of spend $9 million a year on a player like Pierce? Yeah, I think uh, that contract is about on the edge of overvaluing uh, run defense. It's just, it's kind of just right there. Um, I, What's interesting is that you do have some nose tackles that are really talented. Um, um, pass rushers, Javon Hargrave is one, DJ Reader is another. They ended up going for a fair bit of money. And 
though I think Pierce is actually a little underrated as a pass rusher. He tends to outperform other nose tackles, at least. Um, and, and he outperformed Linval Joseph for the past couple of years. Um, you know, he's obviously not there to rush the passer. And if teams on first and 10 decide to do the smart thing and throw the ball, um, you know, the Vikings have lost a little bit of pressure production by allocating resources there instead of um, at somebody who's maybe a little bit better at rushing the passer and a little bit worse at, at stuffing the run. But uh, I do think that when you take a look at his contract through the lens of the contracts that other nose tackles have gotten, I think he ranks about eighth or ninth in terms of percentage of cap consumed at time of signing by the average uh, by the average um, uh, value of the contract. And uh, you know, it's it's actually it doesn't have as much guaranteed as I expected. I'm kind of surprised the Vikings can get out from under the contract basically almost immediately if they want to. Uh, and so there's a lot of flexibility for the Vikings if Pierce replicates his his uh, 2019, which was his worst year, I think, um, it, which is maybe why he didn't go for over $10 million a year. Uh, the Vikings can get out from under that pretty easily. Uh, I don't expect him to do that. I mean, for the balance of his career, he's been pretty good. Uh, he was struggling with weight issues in camp, and he ended up with an ankle injury throughout the season. So uh, that, I think, informed things. But yeah, as a nose tackle, there's not many better run stuffers. You take a look at, at run stopping metrics, whether it's, you know, at the more basic end by just looking at tackles or at kind of the the analytics end by taking a look at run stops uh, per, per run snap, or you take a look at kind of what PFF grades have to say. All of them say he's about two or three compared to other nose tackles in terms of being able to stop the run with only Damon Harrison over the past three years really kind of exceeding him on a play-to-play basis in terms of stuffing the run. So as a run stuffer, he is... Uh, almost unquestionably an elite player, uh, and he's a remarkably strong player. I think one of the things that that Midlinval Joseph so special and and who he's replacing uh, is the tremendous amount of strength he was able to to bring to bear. Uh, and it was it was difficult to find another defensive tackle that had that level of strength. I mean, you're talking like Dontari Poe territory, uh, and I think Michael Pierce is one of the few players in the NFL that can replicate that. And so there's always going to be kind of a floor or baseline you can work off of in run defense. Now, the way the Vikings design their defense and the way that that defense has been good, and, you, and you've mentioned it's been unusually consistent from year to year uh, in a way that we just don't see with other teams. You mentioned that it's sticky, and and yeah, it, it tends to replicate its rankings in terms of points allowed per year. You just don't see that, and I think one of the reasons for that is because, A, they've, they've kept the same defensive coordinator, Mike Zimmer, uh, every year, and that's a big component. Uh, they've also had a lot of roster continuity, which they won't have this year, unusual for a defense. Um, but also, they're not turnover-dependent. Um, they produce third and longs really well. Uh, and so that's, I think, the philosophy of the defense, and it's why they would go for a run-stuffing nose tackle, because despite, I think, uh, the evidence that suggests that they shouldn't do it, the league still runs a ton on first and 10, uh, and then they also run a ton on second and long. Uh, and so if you've got you know a nose tackle that can turn a first and 10 into a second and nine, um, you're really setting yourself up for a really favorable situation in third and long. The Vikings in 2017 and, I think, 2018 – uh, it was either 2016, 2017, or 2017, 2018, were number one in, in third down uh, conversion percentage as a defense. And in 2017, were actually the best team in history at it, uh, going back to when, whenever they first kept track of it, which actually I think is only 1991. It's not as impressive as it sounds. But they were really good at it. <laughs> uh, and, and there's no team that's been recorded to have been better at it than them. And so uh, that's how they produce their their uh, excellent defense. And so if you look at it from that lens and say, hey, the goal here is to get to third down and to make sure those third downs are third and longs, then you can kind of understand what the logic of it is. I don't think it's necessarily the best way to do it just because uh, looking at it through one path instead of a branching series of paths is kind of an issue. But that's their avenue to to winning on defense is to force third and longs and then force punts. Punts are turnovers to the Vikings, and through that lens, they've been able to force a ton of turnovers. So um, they're an unusually consistent defense. This is how they do it. That construction requires them to be a little bit better at stopping the run than I think typically you'd expect of a good defense. Now, mind you, they're really great against uh, the pass, and they were surprisingly good last year despite the coverage issues they've had, and they have to find a way to resolve that. But I think for them, run defense, the way their defense is constructed, does end up carrying a little bit more importance than it does to other teams. There you go. That's a that's a great 
breakdown and really it, it feels like uh, you know if, if they were discussing this move internally that would that would have been precisely what their explanation and their analysis was for it. Okay, let, let's finish up with a couple other guys. Everson Griffin uh, opted out of his uh, contract. I think at the time it felt like there was um, a lot of optimism that he would be back with the Vikings, still remains unsigned. Any thoughts on uh, you know whether they will be able to bring him back? And I guess if the answer is no, what does that mean for the defense? Yeah, um, I still expect them to be able to bring him back, but it is, I think, the every every hour that you go without that happening is an hour where it becomes less likely. Um, there's a report out there that he is testing the open market to kind of see what his value will be. And if that's the case, I think it, it, it does seem like a problem for the Vikings because the whole point was to get him in a below-market deal um, yeah. because he likes Minnesota so much and he's got such a strong attachment to the team. Um, and, and if he's trying to maximize his value, it won't be in Minnesota. Uh, they do have options uh, to, to produce a starter without him, um, but it would obviously be better to have him than not so long as the contract numbers work out. I would still say it's above 50% that they re-sign him, but I wouldn't say that it's as likely as I would have said a couple of days ago when the Vikings very openly said that they expected him to return at the combine, which is not something that you – uh, get well before a deal is signed. So I'm I'm kind of surprised that a deal hasn't been signed. Um, but it, it seems like the the way the teams the the two uh, sides have been talking is that there was a lot of optimism that it would get done. So I don't know why it hasn't happened yet, but it looks like he's looking at his value. If he doesn't sign, uh, they would expect a Fadio Denebo, seventh round pick from Northwestern uh, to step up. You know, he was on the team as a seventh round pick. He ended up going to the practice squad. He ended up getting cut. The Browns signed him, and I think he went to the Cardinals for a hot second as well. Um, and he's switched positions between defensive end and defensive tackle. He's been a really good defensive tackle in free uh, in in the preseason. Um, and uh, and the Vikings have been forced to play him there because of the problems they've had creating. Um, you know, talent at the three technique position, but he is naturally a defensive end. And so um, one of his conditions with re-signing with the Vikings the second time around was that he'd get to play a lot more on the edge. And he's been really um, surprisingly excellent there. He had, I think, six or seven sacks this season as a, as a rotational guy, which is pretty excellent. A lot of it coming on the inside on third down. So who knows how well that projects, but he's a guy that I think his pressure production is kind of what you would expect, um, you know, one of the better designated pass rushers to have in the NFL. It, it it doesn't match, but it kind of reminds you of what Everson Griffin's pressure production was when he was a backup to Jared Allen uh, and when hmm. the Vikings gave him that, uh, that really big deal. Um, to be a starter for the first time, you know, that's kind of what you could look to to say why that was happening. And I think Afadi is kind of in the same way, not as uh, not as dramatic, but certainly I think at a starter level. And so that's kind of the direction they would go in, but then they kind of run out of depth. I mean, Stephen Weatherly, um, uh, he's either signed with somebody or there's a clear indication that he's not going to come back with the Vikings. Um, but I, I would not expect him to be um, somebody to, to rely on as a starter. He's also just not been as productive. So they would need to find um, another defensive end somewhere, whether that's in free agency, whether that's in the draft, and it's a, it's a remarkably weak draft for defensive ends. So they, they really should uh, plumb the depths of free agency for that. Um, but they, they do need to look for rotational guys that could spot start. And I think that's kind of the first time you've hit that problem where the Vikings have had really remarkable depth at defensive end since like 2005, basically. Uh, and so this is kind of the first time uh, you're a spot where at edge rusher, you know, they haven't been able to... Um, to fill out the back end of the roster. Okay, and let's finish with the secondary here. You may have mentioned Anthony Harris previously. That was certainly a surprise franchise tag league-wide. I don't think many people saw that coming. Uh, it looks like they may want to tag and trade him. Now, normally when we see these tag and trades, it's for the real big names where teams can get a first-round pick or certainly a second-round pick because a lot of the times if you are losing a player in free agency, you can play the comp pick game, and if the 
player is good, you can end up getting a third round pick anyway. But I guess the issue with that is generally you you have to wait another year and that only kicks in. Uh, there are factors associated with that depending on who you sign, uh, you know, who you lose, that player's performance, all those different types of things. So do I have the right read on this that they, they're basically saying, you know, even if we don't get a first or second round pick, let's make sure we get a pick right away in this year's draft and we can tag and trade Anthony Harris and then kind of what what is your expectation of what they might be able to get from him and is there any chance that they end up just holding on to him? Yeah, I th- well, first, I do think there's a chance they just end up holding on to him. He's a very talented player, and if they let him walk next year, I think he's still going to end up commanding um, a high-end uh, free agent deal for a safety. Um, I think the expectation for the Vikings is that if he walked away, he uh, – and, and you know, I think Vikings fans know this, and that's mostly who's listening to this podcast. You know, he actually has played like an elite safety ever since he grabbed the starting position from Andrew Sandeo. Uh, PFF has him ranked as the top safety over that period of time, uh, like period. Like there's not a better safety uh, in the NFL. Uh, I wouldn't quite put him up there, but he has played at, at at least Pro Bowl quality level, if not all Pro quality level. Um, and and he's versatile, right? He's been able to play uh, in the box against the run. He's been able to play as a single high, as a as a, as a two high, as a cover four. Um, so, uh, you know, he can, he can do a lot, and he's been productive. He led the league in interceptions last year, or at least I think he tied for it. Um, I would have expected that if he would, he would walk away, the Vikings could be reasonably confident that they would get a third-round compensatory pick in 2021. So I think that's the floor for the trade. Um, I think that they want a third-round pick this year. Otherwise, they would let him walk and get the third-round pick next year. Uh, or they could do a pick swap or something like that. I saw a report saying that they would be willing to trade him for a a mid-to-late-round pick. And the late-round thing doesn't make any sense to me because I think they'd just get more of the compensatory process and be able to – to essentially trade their actual uh, third-round pick in 2021 for a fourth-round pick uh, and then have that compensatory pick come back and still say they've got that third-round pick. So I would be kind of surprised if they got a late-round pick. Um, but, yeah, it's it's tough. Like the, the whole free agency situation with regards to their secondary, um, they've got 1,000 snaps from Harrison Smith returning and then – uh, they've lost uh, Trey Waynes. Uh, they've lost uh, Mackenzie Alexander, Xavier Rhodes, and Anthony Harris, potentially, if they let him go. And so the next guy that's o- under contract is like Holton Hill or Mike Hughes at like 168 snaps. It's remarkably um, bereft of, of experience. So uh, Harris is a guy that I think they expect to, to treat as a, is an all-pro quality safety. Um, and, and I think that they're shopping him like that. And if they can't get that, um, and I think Mary Kay Cabot at Cleveland.com reported that they are, um, you know, negotiating with Cleveland for, uh, I think, maybe a, a mid-round pick or, or a pick swap in the first round or something like that. Um, if they can't get that, they'll just hold on to him because then they'll just get uh, a, a pick in 2022 when he walks away or something like that. Um, they they do anticipate having that space in salary caps so they can make other moves. Um, but I think they're comfortable if they don't get the compensation they want just having him play for the year. Um, so, uh, you know, he's really important to the defense. He's one of the only defenders that's been able to produce turnovers on a consistent basis. He's a remarkably smart player. Uh, since he's bulked up, uh, he, he's showed up at the NFL at 186 pounds. Since he's bulked up to over 210 pounds and maintained his speed, he has been just a remarkable asset against the run and especially against the pass. So, uh, that would be kind of difficult. You mentioned that he's not a big name. He's not. But at the same time, he, he happens to be um, kind of like Kevin Bayard, just happens to be a really great safety that, that doesn't get a ton of recognition. There you go. That is that is another uh, terrific breakdown. It feels like probably the next time you guys record that you will be, it would not be surprising if the secondary led off that discussion. They've got a lot of work to do there with the names you mentioned who have departed and the decisions they still have to make. So uh, that will wrap it up. Uh, Arif, thank you for having me. This was like an education for me. You know, I, I'm doing like a, a wrap up on The Athletic with sort of the first wave of free agency. And I feel like I'm so educated on everything with the Vikings. You and the whole crew at The Athletic do just uh, an outstanding job 
covering the team. I love reading, reading about it, listening to what you guys have to say. So uh, thank you for having me today. This was another episode of Straight Cash. And don't forget that you can check out The Athletic for free for 90 days at theathletic.com slash free 90 days. Everybody uh, stay safe, take the necessary precautions, and hopefully NFL free agency can provide a distraction for you. Talk to you next time.